Welcome to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I'm your host, Josh Pappas. Episode 19, we continue our exploration from clinician to technology and features two amazing guests who have deep experience and they talk about their journey from MD to technology. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get podcasts and enjoy. Welcome to the podcast and excited to welcome both these guests uh, today as we continue the journey looking at from clinician to technology. So I'll start with you, Rami. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to the audience? Yeah, thanks, Josh. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. My name is Rami. Um, trained as a family doctor, and uh, shortly after leaving medicine, I began working in the startup world. So uh, it's kind of a long story, but to jump into it, I, I always really enjoyed the business just business in general and entrepreneurship. And I think it was a natural part of my personality. And, you know, during medical school, I'd started this podcast, which introduced me to a bunch of entrepreneurs and uh, tech folks, and that sparked my interest. And so uh, just having lots of conversations with different uh, CEOs, founders and health tech kind of drew me in. And I was like, I think this is where I want to spend the rest of my career and so, you know, serendipitously got an opportunity in Austin, Texas to join a startup, um, worked with them for a bit, did mostly business development. And from there on, I really just kind of started my own little consulting gig, uh, worked in another startup after that. And now I'm founding my own startup um, and in the middle of a fundraise, actually. So happy to go through, talk about that. Uh, but that's in, in a, in a nutshell, my background, uh, I'll kick it off to, to Ryan after. Yeah. You know, I've, I've known Rami for a while, uh, and it's great to always see you. Uh, so my name is Raihan Faruqi. I'm an internal medicine physician by training. Uh, I've also worked in clinical neurology research, most specifically in multiple sclerosis, basically took my academic and clinical research career and converted that into a early stage health tech journey. I'm now a repeat uh, startup operator, consultant and advisor. I've worked at numerous venture capital backed seed and series A startups across both SaaS and tech enabled services. I'm also a mentor uh, with the Techstars LA Healthcare Accelerator Program. Currently, I serve as head of medical and clinical affairs at Guaranteed Health. Um, we're a seed stage startup. We offer tech-enabled in-home hospice care delivery, and the goal is to modernize the end-of-life care experience. Uh, previous to Guaranteed, I was very early uh, at Perry Health, which is in the diabetes remote patient monitoring space, uh, where I first met Josh. And I also worked at Biosha, uh, which is in the infectious disease metagenomics space. Uh, I sit on the advisory board of three startups, uh, Azure Care uh, in the orthopedic SaaS space, Diagnos, uh, which is in the AI-powered um, EMR productivity space, and then Smart Doctor, which I call the Livongo of Latin America, provides virtual primary care and specialty care uh, for employers. Uh, similar to Rami, I also have my own consultancy. I've worked now with over 25 digital health startup founders in the last four years, uh, specifically with expertise in hybrid or at-home care delivery, uh, kind of B2B2C, pair employer contracting, um, health equity implementation, uh, women's health, and, and a host of other things we can get into. 
Now, welcome both you guys and super excited to get into some of these topics. Uh, I want to go back for a minute for both you guys. I'll start with you, Ryan. When you were going through that journey from clinical, you know, kind of describe, you know, were, were there people saying, hey, maybe don't go down that path or, or maybe describe when you were kind of in it and how um, that, that journey came to be. Um, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to look back on it, but kind of talk about it when it was, uh, you know, happening in the moment. Yeah, people told me I was crazy. And, you know, I think when you have a vision for yourself and you're starting out and uh, you can't find people <laughs> who are similar to you, uh, it's very much a struggle. I, like many people now in health tech, uh, had a real love for the intersection of multiple spaces. Um, you know, so I loved uh, kind of the macroeconomics of healthcare. I love the business side of it. Uh, obviously, I love the clinical practice side of things, but I was also really intrigued with technology, with engineering, with different types of innovation in that space. So I didn't really find a lot of folks uh, kind of like me when I was training about a decade ago. And I had this conception of myself that, hey, I'm going to practice for a little bit and then I'm going to do something else. But I don't know what that something else is. And people said, that's a waste of a degree. That's a waste of $200,000 in debt. That is no vision. So I heard a lot of no, no, no. But I think lesson number one is if you're really passionate about something and that thing, that interest drives you, like keep at it, right? And so I just, I kept at it. And uh, I think kind of lesson number two is that uh, network is net worth. Understanding the power of networking. So networking with startups, networking with founders, networking with investors, finding people like me, you know, eventually who were operators at companies, learning from them, uh, that really inspired in me, like, okay, there's a playbook here, right? There's a, there's a path that I can follow. You know, I would be on LinkedIn, my favorite social media every day. You know, even when I was a second year med student, I'd be like, hey, like, I wanna be that guy who has this awesome title at this company, like, how do I do it, right? Um, so that was kind of my early journey. Um, I have half an MBA from undergrad, which is very unique. I took multiple um, kind of business school classes as an undergrad. I took classes in entrepreneurship and accounting and finance, uh, really wanting to understand the guts of healthcare, which is oftentimes how people get paid, <laughs> what the incentives are, who owns who, um, so on and so forth. Topics that a lot of my peers who are pre-med, went into residency and fellowship and so on and so forth, they were not really interested in. So I think from that time, I knew I was always a little bit different um, and really seeking inspiration from a lot of my friends who are now in consulting, finance, big tech. Like, I just love talking with those dudes um, and kind of picking up a lot of that language and jargon. Um, and really, it's like, hmm, that's going to intersect with healthcare in some capacity. I, just, I didn't know how, but if you kind of fast forward uh, you know, the clock, uh, it's, it's come true. Yeah. And I see you shaking your head, Rami. Um, so similar journey for you or kind of talk about it when, um, you were kind of on that, uh, decision point. Yeah, I knew, I, I knew quite early, uh, sort of similar to how Raihan phrased this, but I had this crazy idea of, I was going to get my degree, maybe practice for a year and then go do something else, start my own business. I always knew I was going to run my own company. I think, uh, that was always the goal for me. I didn't know at what stage that would happen. 
Um, I just had that bug, but I wanted to learn uh, maybe from mentors or from others that have been doing it. But it was pretty much always a plan for me to kind of get this, uh, you know, for me, I think it was more of just the intellectual challenge that I was like, yeah, I want to become a doctor just to prove I can do it kind of thing. I kind of liked, uh, I'm a bit intellectually promiscuous, so <laughs> I just like to do intellectually challenging things. And, um, you know, I, I loved science and I loved learning about uh, the human body physiology. Um, so I was really, really into like just science, like biochemistry or organic chemistry. I really nerded out on those kinds of things. But when it came to the application of medicine, I felt... Uh, there was always something missing. You know, there's the, there's the piece of getting to help patients and, you know, the gratification you get from making a difference in someone's life. And, you know, I'm pretty sociable. And so I like one, you know, one-on-one -on -one interactions with people. Um, but I think in residency, what I realized very quickly was that this just, I just felt bored all the time. And, uh, I felt, I, I felt bored and, and exhausted. <laughs> so um, I just knew that this this didn't really uh, get me going. It didn't get me up in the morning. didn't make me feel uh, excited. Um, and all my side pursuits, which was my podcast and which was um, the small business that I was running, those things, like all my attention, all my excitement was geared in that direction. And um, it wasn't until really after residency that I explored working in my first startup that I really fell in love with the whole process um, of building, creating, bringing visions to life. I think that's really what excites me most. And um, working with a team, uh, I don't know if anybody's played high school sports, you remember working, you know, playing with a, like a team sport like football or something like or basketball. Um, the, it's super exciting getting to work towards something with others. And you don't really get that in medicine. It, medicine's more like, uh, you know, you go, it's just, you know, room after room, it's kind of repetitive. There's guidelines and it's not, you're not really working towards like building something, right? It's just, you're going in and seeing people. And some people like that. For me, I don't, I it just, I like the idea of building something with other people, um, that can change the world that that really excites me. And so, yeah, I just, it, you know, I had to take a leap of faith at one point, uh, obviously as a physician, um, you know, it, number one, it's a huge privilege. Not a lot of people get to become doctors. Um, and so I acknowledge that. And number two, you make, you can earn a lot of money as a physician. And so having to uh, come to terms with, all right, I might have to take a pay cut here. Uh, to go pursue my dream. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I, I realized I'd rather do it now in my early thirties than later on. So I just took the dive and figured out a way to put it into perspective that made sense. And here I am now. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. So, um, we're going to, we're going to run through some segments, perfect little sports segue. So the first segment, and I'm really interested in you guys, is um, so the top and bottom 10, but really it's focused on the sales aspect. And I know you guys both um, either have worn the hats or worked with the companies as you guys built out the sales team. So um, we'll start with you, Ryan. Best or worst experience, either yourself 
doing the selling or working with sales at some of the companies you've either advised or worked for. So uh, take take it whichever way you want to. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. So I'm not going to name names, but uh, at a previous company that I was working at, uh, we were a SaaS vendor, uh, which meant we were selling software to doctors. And as the kind of head of business development team of one person, <laughs> I would bring in the CEO of said company, uh, you know, when a deal was getting serious, you know, sales qualified lead, numbers looked great. You know, I've done some great work leading up to it. Uh, and, you know, we were selling into, you know, these SMB practices, mom and shop, you know, primary care. And uh, the CEO jumps on, very techie, you know, he's wearing a T-shirt. He's got a backwards hat. Uh, he goes by a nickname. And, and we're speaking with the, the decision maker who's the owner of this uh, fairly lucrative practice. Uh, four partners probably did about $2 million in revenue. And this was a fairly sizable deal, something that I'd worked on for a while. And, you know, I was carrying a quota and I, you know, this is commission eligible, right? So like I had a lot of skin in the game and like 30 seconds in, she's like, I'm sorry, I can't continue. Like you look like you're not serious right now. <laughs> and it, for me, it was depressing, but at the same time, I think the story just shows you how there is a real contrast between the world of outpatient clinical medicine, which is white coat, buttoned up, very serious. I'm seeing 50 patients a day, right? Rinse and repeat versus, you know, mid NYC, you're at a hot, buzzy VC backed tech startup. You've got a young CEO, right? It's like casual Friday, right? But there was a real, there was a real mismatch. And uh, suffice, to, suffice it to say, we lost that deal. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, that's I that, that that resonates me so much because I think that luckily I started my career on more of the front lines, um, you know, being a pharma rep, and so I was on the other side of that where I was wearing my right out of college Joseph A. Bank suit in the North Carolina heat, going from doctor's office to doctor's office. In my mind, I'm like, why am I in a suit and tie every single day? You know, basically getting a signature on an iPad. However, you know, I, I, I think it's important to know that there are some guys, that, you know, and in women that you had to be super traditional with. And uh, sometimes the, the, the blend of tech specifically in that outpatient um, sales world. Yeah, I'm sure you and I could come together with a whole book of uh, interesting stories selling into more of the outpatient practices. Um, what about what about maybe the best one that, that, that you can remember um, and, and one that you guys maybe want? Yeah. Well, so I'll give you a tactic first. So uh, during the pandemic, I worked at a chronic care management uh, SaaS company and we had people like Josh, right? Good looking, good set of hair, pearly whites, you know, knocking on doors, you know, doing that whole thing, bringing delicious platters of food. And the pandemic shut all that down. And as the first clinician hired, really embedded with the SDRs and the AEs and the head of biz dads, like, what do we do? Uh, so very quickly, I'm like, hey, learning from pharma 
and understanding that Zoom is going to take off. It's like, hey, let's just hop onto DoorDash, deliver food to the front desk, have the receptionist pick it up and use that as the incentive to take a 30 minute intro call. Right. That was my thesis. And so I actually deployed that technique. And in the first month, I booked 45 intro meetings for AEs at the company. And they were floored. <laughs> They're like, wow, this is really smart because we're paying not a ton of money. You know, and eventually I said, you know, I sent cookies and coffee and all that kind of stuff. But again, it's like understanding that the times have shifted, but that same like, hey, food wins, we're personalizing it for the staff, we're still using that in-person um, kind of tactic. Uh, so that was just a really cool way of, of, of getting a bunch of uh, pipeline on my AE's calendars. No, I really like that. Simple, straightforward, but I, I think also too, it's not that you have to do some elaborate you know, bring in a consultant, how can we fix and get more inbound leads, right? It's just using some common right. sense, um, you know, exactly. but it, it, it makes a big difference. Uh, what about you, Rami? I know that you've, uh, you you switched over. If I understand correctly, you got your medical you know, degree, everything's good. And then all of a sudden you decide to go business development, which at the early stage could be crafting cold emails. So uh, what's your best and worst uh, from, from what you've remembered? That's funny. It's because I, well, I actually worked in sort of a sales role before medical school. So I was at, I worked at GNC for uh, like a year and a half. And so like that job, as you know, is a lot of sales and you work on commission. And I learned early on, you know, I was highly motivated to make money because, you know, that was how I paid for my car and how I got around and how I could take my girlfriend out to dinner. And so, um, I just, uh, I remember when I first started working there, I learned very quickly how to sell the high ticket items and focused only on that. And so like, I always, I learned very early on that focus on what matters or focus on one or two things and get really, really good at them. And I think that's just been an early lesson for me of like how to do things. Don't try to do everything, I, which is what I naturally want to do. I try to want to do everything, but learn getting really focused and getting really good at that one or two things that work for you and just get and just repeat that. And so I had a pitch and I had a process of, you know, when someone come in, you know, what I show, how, how I show them around and how I do that whole process. And I think that came quite natural to me. Um and then the podcast, the podcast actually was how I learned how to communicate and how I learned to relate to people because you'd do a recording, you'd listen back to it, you'd hear all the, you know, if I listen back to any of my earliest episodes, we've done about a hundred, almost a hundred episodes. I cringe because I can't put, I am a terrible speaker in those, in that early stage. And um, I really used it to try to just become a better speaker and communicate better to people. And, you know, when you listen back to yourself, you kind of nitpick and you just kind of iterate on that. So I guess for me, doing the podcast helped me do sales. And that was what my first role was. And it was just genuine connection with people. I, I didn't really look at it as like I was ever selling anyone everything. I was just giving people what they wanted. Um, and so the first role was more sort of recruiting doctors to join a platform. Um, 
and then, you know, working with some clients on the pharma and biotech side of things. And um, I think it was just a good experience for me to learn what it looks like on the inside of a startup, how to manage a CRM, how to, uh, you know, keep track of your progress, how to have set objectives and hit your mark, that sort of thing, which we really didn't have in obviously clinical training. It's a different mindset uh, in clinical training, but it gives you certain, I think, I think the number one advantage, I think Raihan or myself would have in a situation that's sales oriented or any clinician would have is that you can speak the language of uh, the clinician and you have that re- relatability aspect to it. And it, it's just a natural rapport builder. And so I think there are subtle subconscious cues you give like this person's a clinician, they get it. They're not going to sell me. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a small community. So you obviously don't want to ruin your reputation either. And so there's that sort of standard that you're um, uh, maybe subconsciously held up against. So sales for me has just been talking to people and uh, figuring out what they need <laughs> and then, you know, repeating it back to them really. Yeah. Any, 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 anyone that stands out that was maybe the, uh, you know, one, one of the cringiest moments, at least from a sale or, you know, one sale that you lost that really just, you know, hurt, hurt, hurt you on the inside. Um, you know, I had a friend that I was helping uh, as an advisor. Um, also, uh, it was an OBGYN, uh, software product. And so, uh, I had offered to help her and, said, okay, I'll take a lunch with one of the doctors at the OBGYN clinics locally. Um, and so I, you know, I, I brought lunch to that meeting uh, and uh, set it up. And it was, I did two, two uh, I did three that day. And one of them was fairly cringe because, you know, I, I remember being on the other side of things when I was practice, I was working in a private practice doing primary care for like very short amount of time, maybe six months did that. But, um, you know, I remember, you know, pharma reps coming and selling to us and not, I remember not having the time of day for them and, but, you know, always being very polite and kind because I know their job is hard, but now I was on the other side of it. And, um, I didn't, I didn't introduce myself as a doctor initially. Um, and so there was, uh, there was a moment where they were kind of just kind of not giving me too much attention. And then I said, oh yeah, I'm also a family doctor. And then I saw the I saw like a complete 180, which was kind of uh, interesting to see that happen in real time. Um, but yeah, like I think I just felt like uh, this is kind of weird because I remember being on the other side of this, and you know, this is a product that can really, really help their patients. And I was doing this as a favor to a friend, and I was like, "This is tech." Number one, I was like, "I think clinicians, not all are." Um, they don't really have their eyes open to new technologies and how they can help their patients using those new technologies. Um, so it was a bit discouraging, but you know, two out of two out of three were were receptive. So I just, you know, I looked at that as a weird moment, maybe not a not a fail, uh, more as a learning a learning moment of how to maybe maybe start with that when I first walk in. <laughs> um, but selling is it's a natural part of business. You have to sell in everything you do. Um, whether you're a doctor or not doctor, and even, you know, any physician doing private practice, um, it's all sales and marketing and you have to be able to speak and promote yourself and not be shy about it. Yeah, no, it resonates with me. I think some of my worst memories actually are because of 
mishaps with whatever food I was being delivered back when I was a pharma rep. Had nothing to do with the actual presentation. It was the caterer at Chipotle calling me and be like, I don't know if we got your order for the 50 to 100 person, you know, very important meeting that we had coming up, right? So I, and once I kind of switched over to software, I did um, enjoy that I was not the caterer uh, any, anymore, the day-to-day caterer, you know, there. One piece of advice I'll give to anybody listening um, when they go in and do this, and I only did it a few times, but um, relatability goes such a long way, obviously, and you want to you you want to disarm doctors, not disarm, but you want to you want to create some rapport as soon as possible because doctors are used to feeling like everybody's out to get them, everybody's trying to sell them something, they just want to take care of their patients, so. You know, I think just acknowledging that very early on in any interaction you have with a physician and saying, hey, you know, you know I guess maybe as a sales, you know, doing sales, you kind of have to get a read on someone. Everybody's different and you need to know what kind of a person you're dealing with. And, you know, is this someone that's chitty chatty? Is this someone that's introverted? Do they want to hear me talk? Do they just want to get straight to the point? Getting a good read, knowing who you're going in to talk to, and maybe if you can build that rapport before you go in, that'll go a long way. Yep, couldn't agree more. So switching gears a little bit. So we do an MJ versus LeBron debate, and I know both you guys are basketball fans, so we will let you first answer the MJ versus LeBron debate um, straight up. Um, but then, you know, we'll, we'll go in and fire some um, – you know, rapid fire questions around kind of the differences between clinical versus uh, working in the tech and startup. Um, so I'll start with you in reverse snake draft order, um, you know, Rami and the, or, or Ryan, and then we'll go, um, we'll go from there. Sounds good. So, uh, I mean, I'm an MJ guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, so I'm a, like I'm a basketball diehard. Uh, I shoot hoops, uh, listen to every podcast you can think of. Like, look, I think the eras are fundamentally different, right? Uh, so I think sticking with one team and having excellence, I think in the modern day NBA is seen as like boring. And I think in the era of player empowerment, um, where you can dictate where you go, who comes to play with you, you can play lead GM <laughs> a little bit different than I think in previous eras where obviously management had more say sure. Jordan had influence, but did not nearly have enough influence as even a like second tier player, like in the modern NBA. Um, so I think there's just something to be said about like team building and just sticking with a set roster. Sure. There were changes here or there, uh, so I think that's just kind of the, the first point, like longevity with with a team. I still think it's equally impressive to win a chip with multiple teams, right? Like that is historic in its own right. Uh, but I would say that's point number one. Um, and I think just just point number two, I think re, uh, kind of back to Rami's point is like being really good at one thing. Like LeBron is great at a lot of things, which is a part of his brilliance. Like Michael Jordan was a stone cold scorer, right? Like whatever required the guy was clutch. And not to say LeBron is not clutch because there's this myth that he's not. And it's not true. Like if you look at the stats, the guy's very clutch, but he has been known in that moment to pass the ball 
because it was the right basketball move in terms of the analytics guys, right? So I, I agree with that, but Jordan would never do that, right? Um, and like, I have a certain respect bringing this back to sales for just people who get the job done, right? Cold-blooded, ruthless, you know, and like, I respect that, you know? Yeah, you're, spe you're speaking my language, especially in a startup, right? Because I'm sure you've ran, run into it. There's a lot of idea people. There's few and far between executors, right? Yeah. Um, especially as you bring people yeah. in and out and you'd be like, oh my goodness, how much did we pay for all these ideas? I could have given you this for you know, my, my salary, right? But uh, it becomes important. So I appreciate, you know, very, very, very interesting topics, uh, you know, being able to do that. What about you, Rami? You feel any differently uh, before we get into the clin clinical versus tech startup for no, MJ LeBron? I'll, I'll go with MJ too, just mainly because I have a bunch of MJ rookie cards that are in plaques that I want to go up in value. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, 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 I think once this podcast, you know, hits, hits a certain uh, audience space, yeah, that's definitely, I mean, it might go up a couple quarters, um, you know, from, from there, from a value perspective. All right, let's dig in. So when, when you think about clinical versus tech startup, um, you know, what's maybe, the, the biggest challenge that you faced or, or challenge that's evolved, right? I know you guys started um, in, in the clinical, but how have you seen some of that change? And then maybe what are some of the current challenges that you guys face with what you're currently doing? Maybe start with you, Ram. Um, well, on the clinical side, there's obviously, a you know, you, you can't, you can't do what you do in tech, which is go fast and break things because you have, you know, people on the other end of it. So you have to be slightly, you have to be much more responsible. Uh, and you need clinical leadership from the start. I think if you're doing any kind of uh, care delivery, kind of a tech startup, just because they know the ins and outs and uh, the regulatory part is a big hurdle for a lot of uh, early stage startups. And so having, you know, healthcare just adds a level of complexity that, you know, your everyday tech startup doesn't really have and uh, really requires a lot of uh, digging knowledge understanding different hierarchies and structures and how, how things work. And so even for a physician, even for a clinical leader, like these things are not known to most. Um, and so you have to, there's a lot of legalese and regulatory and all that. And um, it just complicates things. And so you have to know how to navigate that ahead of time. So you don't put in a bunch of work and then realize you did all that work for nothing. Um, and I guess, more on the t I, you know, right now, I'd say what I'm what we're building is a jobs marketplace for doctors. So we don't really have patient care um, intertwined with what we do, and so we can go a lot faster. We can break things. We can figure things out much quicker. Which I actually sort of prefer um, at this stage of what I'm building. I think that healthcare is just. Um, I think that it really requires a, a grassroots type of movement to change because the incentive structures, the way things, the foundation it's been laid upon is just really, really screwed up. And so I, a lot of what we're doing is building kind of on the outskirts of healthcare, not really getting to the, you know, um, deep rooted problems that would affect change across the entire system. So I'm just a bit cynical about that. I think that there's lots of great companies doing great things and helping people. It's just, uh, when you think about the entirety of healthcare, we really need to <laughs> dismantle it and start over or start a new healthcare system, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, li I like the takeaways there because I think as you're 
trying to create companies or hiring sales reps or building out that company process, it's it's super important to understand that if you touch the patient care side of things in, in any regard, it, that's going to be a different mechanic journey, sale, all of those. I think it's like, well, we just, you know, patients are dissatisfied. Let's create a patient app without thinking about some of those, <laughs> those cascading effects. That's important. Um, what about you, Ryan? The stakeholders are hard to sell to. Yeah. Yeah. So I really think it depends on the product, right? So health tech is really wide and a marketplace like Rami is working on is very different from software that's being sold into a payer or a provider, which is very different than a care delivery startup. Right. So I think, you know, those three lanes require a different level of, to Rami's point, legal, regulatory, exposure, so on and so forth. But, and I think also kind of the pace for innovation is is different, right? Um, I, I would argue software um, is probably much easier to get adoption versus a new care delivery model, right? Um, I've I've touched both, so I can kind of speak upon that. I've also been at companies where we were a soft piece of software, SaaS, and then we became a virtual provider, right? Um, so that happens as well. Um, I think the care delivery side is, is a great example where if you, again, if you have clinician listeners, again, I think in, in a lot of clinical medicine right now, right, where people are graduating medical school, going to residency, graduate fellowship, um, nursing, you know, a variety of mid-level professionals from, you know, therapists and aides and so on and so forth. Like you are going to work for an entity that owns you, right? You are really seen as labor <laughs> or generating revenue, right? Um, that's just how you are seen. So it doesn't matter like what entity you're working for, right? So it could either be um, a massive health system. It could be a small outpatient practice. It could be increasingly a private equity owned entity. Um, you know, uh, it could be a payer. It could be, it could be a payer that's gobbled you up and now you're pi- part of a combined pay provider entity, but somebody owns you, right? So you're kind of your independence has been, has been chipped away. I think a care delivery startup is, is much different, um, especially because there's obviously a scale difference, right? When you're early, like it's like two people, right? And, a, and you have like a, maybe a small census of patients. So I think to Rami's point, um, if there are like more kind of flat hierarchical ownership models, or especially if you as a clinician either have equity, um, you are in some type of leadership, like you actually own a lot more of that kind of care that's being provided. Like you're not just a provider. There's a lot of, clinicians at startups who they're either in a strategy role, they have a clinical operational role, right? You're not just seeing patients and prescribing medication, right? Um, So you have a lot more independence. You have a lot more ownership of whatever core innovation you're you're pitching, Um, which is very, very different from being a owned entity doing as your, right, uh, uh, managers are, are saying, uh, because really, if you look at the last 30 years, um, you know, it, 
you know, in, in the U.S. and you know, in the '80s and '90s, we had a very healthy, like, independently owned system. What that meant was like the three of us were doctors. We owned ourselves, right? We made the rules. We decided who we hired, what platforms we used, so on and so forth. Um, that is no longer the case, right? Um, kind of the proportion of independently owned clinicians is is dwindling. There is still a very active um, uh, kind of cohort there that's trying to remain independent, but because of massive consolidation and kind of the corporatization of, of healthcare, um, it's a very different environment. Um, and I think that's also a part of the explanation for having people being like, hmm, let me look at a different space where, uh, where I can practice in a much different way. Um, so I think that's kind of on the care delivery side, but I, but I think software is much different, right? It's much, much different, um, whether you're selling into pharma or life sciences, you're selling to health systems or hospitals, you're selling into insurers or employers, right? That is a very different um, case. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about it. I know you alluded to it, just maybe some predictions, right? So um, the, maybe the first part outside of what you guys are both currently working on with your companies, you know, what's maybe a specific area, a couple of areas that you're most bullish on? And then I guess an extension of that, uh, the second part of that question is how do you imagine or maybe seeing some additional clinical plus tech roles, right, evolve? What, what are some of those specific roles that you see the need for in the future? Um, so maybe starting with you, Rami. Yeah, so I think I think something really interesting is happening specifically with what it means to be a clinician and more specifically a doctor. Uh, I think traditionally we've always thought of doctors as uh, clinical only, meaning they just go into a hospital, clinic, whatever, and do their job. And I think that something right now is happening where industry and startups and gigs are becoming more intertwined with what doctors do. And so almost every doctor has got, you know, not every, but a lot, large, large portion of doctors have a side gig or some kind of startup they're doing on the side or some kind of passion project. Um, and I just think that's going to become more and more of a reality of what it means to be a doctor. And I think that doctors are going to be looked at more like MBAs, like you can do anything. Um, you can go and work in a business, you can go work in a consulting company. It's just a degree. Um, and I think that that's going to be a more common pathway and avenue for doctors. And, uh, you know, it's part of, it's part of what I'm looking forward to building with this marketplace for doctors. And so just to shamelessly give myself a plug here and what we're building, um, we're kind of putting together a centralized marketplace where if you're a doctor, you can come in and, find any type of job that hires doctors. And so whether that's clinical, full-time, locums, uh, industry, pharma, biotech, uh, on the insurance side, and even on the startup side. And so there's these four corners that we're bringing together of gig startups, industry, and clinical. And it's sort of the, it's really the first of its kind marketplace where as a clinician, you can come and find just the spectrum of opportunities and we're really and, and, and we're sort of reversing the marketplace so um not to turn this into a promotional ad for our startup but 
I think that <laughs> I just think that there are, you know, there's some fatigue around finding the right opportunity in jobs. And so uh, we're, we're bringing employers to the doctors and to the clinicians. Um, and so <clears throat> just making things more, uh, more data driven and more, uh, more kind of accessible to all doctors. Yeah. What about, what, what about you, some kind of predictions and opportunities or um, areas that you're bullish on? Yeah. You know, I speak to a lot of, uh, VC and angel investors, uh, every week. And as I kind of think about the like macroeconomic forces at play right now, uh, we've got a couple of, of interesting tailwinds. So I think number one, uh, we have an aging population. Number two, we have generative AI and, you know, LLM kind of creation, adoption, implementation, we'll see. Um, and then number three, uh, you know, we are seeing just the cost of everything rise, especially as inflation has not tamped down, you know, the Fed and the rate cuts have not seemed to move much, right? A lot of stuff doesn't make sense when you look at raw economic data. Um, so when you kind of put those things together, um, when I kind of see where the investment tailwinds are, when I when you look at industry and like, you know, there's only a couple of stakeholders that really decide what happens. Um, you know, I saw this interesting report from McKinsey that said about $265 billion worth of care in the next five years will be shifted from the hospital and clinic into the home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at home care, um, I, I see that expanding, but really how that care is expanded. I think that's what's going to be really interesting. Um, I think what I believe is that it's going to be really difficult to scale people. So what I mean by that is yeah. the, the biggest problem right now in healthcare is the workforce, right? So doctors, nurses, therapists are leaving. Um, training programs are not producing enough people right? People are living longer, they're sicker. So we have a like care provider care demand mismatch. Um, so that is where I see potentially for a lot of self-service to come into play, right? So how do you enable the patient to practice at the top of their license? How do you enable the family caregiver to help the patient to practice at the top of their license? You know, things like that. Um, you know, when I look at, you know, a host of chatbots and, you know, AI powered tools to help clinicians do less typing and do more seeing of patients. I think that is where a lot of the emphasis will be. Um, but I think really it's, it's much larger than that. I mean, you know, when we've, when we've seen how telehealth and remote monitoring, we've seen the adoption pickup, um, I, these are modalities, right? They're tools. Um, uh, I think eventually AI will be very similar to that, you know, we used to call, we used to call companies internet companies 30 years ago, right? Um, so we now, now we call them AI company, like in, I think 10 years, it's like every company will have some, some, so I think that's good, going to become table stakes. Um, so I don't think that's the, the real solution, but it's, again, it's going to be like, who are the new providers and how will companies build like these hybrid types of care models to service that demand? That is what I am looking at, right? So it's like, okay, um, it's going to be, right, like a family caregiver plus some AI bot that's giving me all the information, right? Plus, you know, 
uh, like in-person visits or in-home visits, like that is what I kind of see it like foresee as like the next five to 10 years and really inverting a lot of care. You know, we've seen hospital at home take off. We're having, again, a lot of care now coming into the home. So from dialysis, post-acute care, home infusion, right? Um, as we see chronic conditions like cancer, um, various autoimmune diseases, um, like increased incidence across time. Uh, so I, that is a space that, that I'm, I'm watching very closely. Yeah, and uh, is a space that I'm still passionate about was, was was there. And it was always difficult because getting these started, it, the economics of it were even in a fee-for-service world, we're out of this world, right? And in, in, in being able to justify it on a, on a balance sheet. But then it was, okay, now we're going into implementation and it, it's just another aspect, right? So the staffing of that is, is very difficult. And uh, luckily it's moved past the, the normal team of four or five, you know, crazy ones at the hospital that wanted to do this hospital at home. You know, we've, we've moved past there, but uh, I, I think it'll be interesting on how those incentives are aligned um, so last couple, uh, last couple little segments. So in terms of some rookie healthcare leader advice, right? So what advice as you're seeing specific to, you know, all of the physicians out there or aspiring physicians, you know, what are some maybe tactical advice that you guys have seen? Um, so that if they are wanting to explore this, this, this transition into the clinician role, uh, what are you seeing kind of the current state of that and any tactical advice you'd give them? Sure. Um, I can jump in here. So we, we started this community called BMG to connect health tech, uh, people with doctors and vice versa. And so like Raihan pointed to earlier, network, networking, um, is really so important in this kind of a space who, you know, um, and it's how I found, I got my way in. I'm sure I think Raihan as well. Um, and it's just, it really is the only way in. Um, it's a small community of innovators and uh, a particularly a small community of doctor innovators who are already doing these kinds of things. They founded companies, worked in various business development roles, worked in clinical, you know, chief medical officer, chief clinical officer, um, various, you know, we're at the forefront of telemedicine. There's a, there's a phenotype of these physicians that have already existed and the networks that surround them are there as well. And so getting into communities like health tech nerds or um, our community, which is BMG, which is now turned to a match day. Um, I don't know when you'll, when you'll uh, launch this, but uh, that's still an announcement <laughs> we're yet to make. Um, but really it, it's all about the network and the community of people you surround yourself with. And once you kind of get into that community um, and you know who the players are, uh, it just, you know, things start coming to you. And I, I would recommend that to anybody who wants to explore, um, the health tech side of things. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Um, community is really important. Um, the advice that I always give is number one, understand how the money flows. Um, everything in healthcare makes sense once you understand the money. Uh, and, I think a lot of clinicians who are either in traditional healthcare or even in startups do not understand how money flows. Um, and everything seems super complicated. It's really not. <laughs> um, you know, someone's inefficiency is someone's margin, right? And, you know, even though, like, sure, it's a multi trillion dollar 
um, industry, like there are innumerable, like multi-billion dollar markets in health tech and healthcare. There are so many verticals and there are just so many ways you can make a ton of money. Um, so again, understanding payer, provider, employer, pharma, like all those macroeconomic relationships. Uh, there's a lot of courses that can be had. You know, there's things that you can read, um, which really help define like, you know, who owns me? Like, why is my salary this? Like, you know, why is my contract built this way? Like, why is our entity working? Well, like, these are the questions um, that will really enable you for like long-term clarity in, in your career. Like, I see a lot of really burnt out mid-career doctors because they have no idea how the business of healthcare works. Um, so I think if you're young, read macroeconomics and health policy. Yeah, and I think it's going to be super critical because it's rapidly changing, right? But I think being able to be on the forefront of that is going to serve kind of that next generation um, really well. Um, so final segment, now it's it's really the time to, to, to lean in there, Rami, on um, anything you want to plug, your companies, um, your organizations, um, and then how people can kind of find you. Uh, we'll make sure all the links and everything on LinkedIn or your websites, but um, you know, what's, what, what's the uh, present state of what's going on? Well, first I want to say thank you, Josh, because you've done an amazing job interviewing two people at once. And I know how hard that is. So well done. <laughs> uh, secondly, I just want to say um, we live in, we are in such an exciting time right now. Uh, so much innovation is happening. There's more tools than ever. We're at the forefront of generative AI, which is completely changing the game. We don't even know the possibilities that are in front of us. And if you're a startup right now, holy cow, how exciting is it to be a startup? You get tools that never before in the history of the world are now available to us. And we can build things with tools that no one before us had. And so this is sort of like the dot-com all over again. And there's going to be some really, really great technologies that come out of all of this. And there's going to be new jobs and there's going to be new opportunities. And I don't think anybody's going to be replaced. I don't think doctors are going to be replaced by AI. Um, I think that their jobs are going to be made a lot better and a lot more fulfilling. I think that the role of physicians are is changing and the way they uh, interact with their jobs and how they, you know, uh, structure their jobs, whether that's full-time or part-time or that sort of thing. I think that's all going to change. And, you know, just in general, our level of consciousness as a human race is expanding, I believe. And um, I think we're more interested now in pursuing things that are true to us as individuals, things that resonate with us. And, you know, we're putting, we're, we're, we're more aligned with our, uh, with our, kind of uh, true paths. And so, you know, that's sort of what led me to build uh, Match Day Health, which is formerly BMG. And the way I describe us is a, we're a community-driven network of doctors, and we're making it so employers can come to you rather than the other way around. And we're using AI and data-driven uh, machine learning to create this sort of dating service uh, of most compatible matches. And, uh, you know, what's really, really exciting about this is if you think about how many doctors are burned out, 
a significant percentage of those doctors are in jobs that were poor fit or were not right for them to begin with. And a big reason for that is the way physicians are recruited um, in this poorly incentivized way of staffing companies and recruiters, which kind of, you know, throw out some bait and get real the first person in. And this is really bad for hospitals and for doctors. And it's it's a huge, huge problem that we want to solve. Um, and so we've got a, you know, more, uh, more aligned incentive, incentive with the physician and with the employers. And uh, we really want to build the future jobs marketplace uh, for all doctors. And so uh, for those that want to continue to hear more about this or are interested in becoming an investor in our company, we are holding an early uh, physician investor round. Um, where you can follow me on my LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to get in contact with me, Rami Webby. Um, R-A-M-I, last name W-E-H-B-I, and then um, Josh, you can probably plug that in the notes. But um, that's my that's my uh, that's my uh, parting words. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Josh, for having us on. It's been a really good time. Uh, so again, I'm over at Guaranteed Health. We are a seed stage startup with the goal of modernizing end-of-life care. We are hiring across several roles. Uh, so if folks out there are interested in helping people uh, die and grieve better at the end of life, uh, uh, we're hiring across finance, business operations, marketing, uh, data science, um, we employ a team of palliative trained nurses, aides, social workers, and chaplains. Uh, we are live and up and running in Los Angeles, which is our first uh, service area. And as we think about what the future of aging populations look like, one in five people will be 65 in 2030. Uh, we are wholly unprepared for a deluge of Medicare eligible beneficiaries in this country. Um, so we are really excited to be building a really modern experience for something that affects all of us, uh, which is death and dying, um, and really changing conversations um, around something that can be both difficult, you know, and really beautiful at the same time. Uh, you know, we really believe that we should help people die with the same vibrancy and color uh, that they live with and making that process really easy uh, for patients and for families uh, to deal with. Um, you can find out more at guaranteedhospice.com. Similar to Rami, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, that's Raihan Faruqi, F-A-R-O-Q-U-I. You can also follow me on Twitter at RMFNYC1. Guys, thanks. And I, I heard somewhere we're just in the roaring 20s of digital health, right? We got a lot of acceleration there yeah. um, to, to, to go. So thank you both for being on the podcast. And um, yeah, make sure to go ahead and follow them as they're working towards that uh, healthcare of the future. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. Make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get podcasts. And tune in for later this week as we take a deep dive into video prospecting and all the benefits it can have on sales and more.
Thanks.